Please remain standing. Take your Bibles tonight to the book of Jude. Very last book of the Bible is Revelation. Uh, the book right before Revelation is Jude. It's only one chapter long and be easy to miss it. Uh, but I'd like us to begin tonight by reading Jude, verse 9 and 10. Uh, you know that on Sunday nights we've been going through the book of Jude. I've had many people say, uh, Pastor, in light of our circumstances, we couldn't be in a better book. And I believe that. I think that's true. Uh, if you know, uh, this, wasn't, this wasn't orchestrated by Carlson. I preached through 1 Peter and then 2 Peter and then I preached 1 John, and then 2 John, and then 3 John. After 3 John comes 4 John. No, Jude. And so we didn't plan this. We didn't orchestrate this. God planned this. And yet there's a lot of things in here that sure have helped me, and I trust that they've helped you. And so we're going to read Jude, verse 9 and 10, and then we'll have a word of prayer if you would read together with me, reading out loud, beginning there in verse number 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things, they corrupt themselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. God, we're honored that this family would make a plan to come. We're honored with that. Bless them. Help them in their travels. Keep them safe. I pray that you would direct their steps with their plans ahead. And Lord, we pray that you would put your hand of blessing on the ministry that you have for them. I pray that you'd help us tonight. I know that the book of Jude is a heavy book. It's a short book. It's a small book. But it seems each word is packed with great truth. And I pray as we continue in the book of Jude, help us tonight not only to learn what he wrote so long ago, but Lord, help us to make it appropriate and apply it to our lives. Fill me with your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've said this before, but just to remind you, the very last book of the Bible is Revelation. And the book of Revelation talks about the fact that the Lord is coming back. He's coming back first in the rapture, and that's to take us out of here. Seven years of tribulation follow that, and then the Lord's going to come and set up a throne for a thousand years. So the last book of the Bible talks about the Lord coming back. The second last book of the Bible is Jude. It tells us what will happen in churches before the Lord comes back. Jude talked about a great apostasy. That word apostasy is a turning away from the faith. So Jude is telling us that before the Lord comes back, there will be a great turning away from the faith. Paul talked about that, 1 Timothy 4 2 Timothy 4, Peter talked about that. But that's what Jude is preparing us for. The fact that the closer that we're getting to the return of the Lord, there will be a great apostasy. And if you had no idea when's the Lord coming back, this would be a pretty good hint. Because we are seeing a tremendous apostasy taking place. Apostasy is not talking about people that have never been saved. 
Apostasy is not talking about people who've never been in church. Apostasy is talking about those that are saved, have been in church, and one day they decided, I don't need any of this anymore. Jude wasn't going to write about that. In fact, look there, if you would, in Jude, verse number 3. Jude, verse 3, Jude writes, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... Jude was going to write about how good it is to be saved. And folks, it is good to be saved. But as he was about to write that, the Spirit of God changed the direction of what he'd write. Keep reading there in verse 3. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints and so Jude said, no, no, I'm not going to preach about how good it is to be saved, though it is. I'm going to preach on the fact that when we are closer to the return of the Lord, there will be an effort of some to change our faith. Sometimes faith means trust. I have great faith in this pulpit holding me up. Sometimes in the Bible, that word faith refers to all that we believe, all that we hold to. Folks, we believe in a trinity. We believe in a heaven. We believe in a hell. We believe in an indwelling Holy Spirit when you get saved. We believe in eternal security. We believe that Jesus is coming again. All of that is our faith. And here Jude warns that before the Lord comes back, there will be some who will creep into churches with, an, uh, with a goal of changing what that church does, how that church operates, what that church believes. And Jude said, when it happens in your church, this is what you're supposed to do. Look there in verse number four. Jude verse four, for there are certain men crept in unawares. Who were, uh, sorry, who were before of old ordained this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They, they will literally say, because God has grace, we can live any way we want. Because God is forgiving, we can change this Christian life to satisfy our flesh, and in verse number three, Jude said, you need to earnestly contend for the faith. I'm sure that many of us know of churches all across this country and other countries who one time stood for the old-fashioned faith. And someone crept in, unbeknownst to the people there, and they secretly began to turn this and twist this and suggest this and somebody didn't stand up and contend for that faith. They wanted peace. They wanted friends. And because they didn't earnestly contend for the faith, some of those churches are but a shadow of what they once were. And I could take you to some, it wouldn't mean much to you because you didn't know what they were before. But there are some great churches that are no longer great churches because they didn't earnestly contend for the faith. Now, we, when we got to verse 5, 6, and 7, we learned of their agenda. We learned these that creep in. Their agenda is to give a license to sin. 
and they want others to sin too. We saw that in verse 5, 6, 7. Last week, we saw in verse number 8 their characteristics. Verse 8 talked about the fact that they're dreamers. So their thoughts and what they imagine for a church is completely different from what God wants a church to be. Uh, not only they're identified by their dreams, but they're identified by who they despise. That verse number 8 says about these that creep in, it says they despise dominion. Now, dominion is leadership. And listen, folks, if, if I wasn't the pastor here, I am as far as I know, but if I wasn't the pastor here and I wanted to change what Golden Plains Baptist Church does, the pastor stands in the way of that. So in my heart, there would be a despising for that pastor. And there is a despising in these that creep into churches that have an agenda to change it, and there is in their heart a despising of the authority. That would be true for despising authority in the home, and in, in, in the job site, and in the church. The last thing that we notice, characteristics of these that would creep in and change, is uh, it says there at the end of verse number 8, and we finished with that last week, but look there, speak evil of dignities. You can despise dominion and keep that in your heart. And no one know it. I mean, you can, you, you can uh, speak sweetly to people and they not know that down deep in that heart you hate that person. But you know when you speak evil of dignities, now it's no longer hidden the heart. So we saw that. Preacher, what are we looking at today? Well, we're actually looking at verse 9 and 10 today. And if you would, we're looking at the words that these creeps, I say, that's a just terrible word, Jude used it, that these creeps will use. So if you're writing a title down for taking notes, I know many do. Uh, my title is By Their Words, We Will Know Them. By Their Words, We Will Know Them. Now, folks, we have to take this warning as serious as any other portion of the Bible. Because there will be as much an effort to change the direction of Golden Plains Baptist Church as there will be an effort in every other church to change it. I said it last week, and, and I repeat again, Preacher, why would we need to know the kind of words that these people use? Because they won't come with a lapel pin that says, I'm a creep. <laughs> no, they won't wear that. They won't come in here with a hat that says, I intend to change it. They won't do that. The devil never does that without doing his work secretly. So we're going to look at the kind of words that these that would change a church would use. Again, my title tonight is, By Their Words We Will Know Them. Uh, do you know words are so very important? And although we can't, I can't see your heart, just like you can't see my heart. Eventually, the words that I speak are my heart that's revealing himself. So again, by their words, we will know them. And even Jesus himself said that, Matthew 12, 37, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. 
And so, again, let's look at the kind of words that would identify somebody that's trying to change what an old-fashioned Bible-believing church is doing. Uh, the first one, and I, we've already looked at it, but look there at the very end of verse number 8. So we're going to just kind of bump back to where we ended last week. It says these, uh, in fact, beginning, beginning in verse number 8, likewise also these. That word these refers to verse number 4, these that would try to creep in. That's who these is. Uh, look again at verse 10, but these. So verse 8, 9, and 10 is kind of giving us a hint at the kind of words that you will hear come from the mouth or the mouths of these that would change. Again, we're looking by their words, we, uh, we will know them. Uh, verse number 8, let's look at the whole verse. Uh, it says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Again, I know we already ended with that last time, but you know, God has put those in leadership in every realm of our life, in a home, in a traditional home. God has put the husband, the father, as the head of that home. I don't think you'd argue with that. I know that not all homes are traditional. I understand that. But in a traditional home, God has put somebody in authority in that home, and that would be the man of the home. At the job site, God has somebody in a position of authority in that job site, and that's the boss. Uh, in a church, God has somebody in authority. That would be the pastor, and it would also include other leaders in a church. But uh, there's no home without an authority. There's no job site without an authority. There's no church without an authority. In our country, we have those in authority. God has put authority in every area of our life. And the Bible says the very first kind of words that you will hear from the mouths of somebody that's totally trying to turn things upside down. It says there in the end, verse number 8, it says they speak evil of dignities. I'm going to give you three eyes tonight. And so again, if you're taking notes, uh, the first kind of words that will identify creeps in the church are irreverent words. That is an I, irreverent. Do you know uh, uh, parents deserve honor? Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother for this is the first commandment with promise. I think dad and mom deserve honor. I, I think, ladies, you being married to that man who's head of the home, I think he deserves honor. I'm not saying bow down him because I'm not saying anything like that. But uh, the, the head of a home deserves honor. I think wherever it is that you work, I think that that boss deserves honor. Uh, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 1, let as many servants as are under the oak count their masters worthy of all honor. Preacher, I don't agree with everything my boss does. Then quit. So I, I, I got to get paid. Then work and keep your mouth shut. There's always somebody that has a job and they, get a, they receive the paycheck every week and they badmouth their boss and badmouth their company. You don't have to work there. You have to work, but you don't have to work there. So take your mouth off of that boss. Take your mouth off of that job. 
as long as God has you there, it's, it's right to honor that boss. Just like it's right to honor that head of the home. Uh, in the matter of the government, the Bible says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Uh, the Bible says, 1 Peter 2, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors. It says, honor the king. You say, well, preacher, we finally have a king again, apparently. And say, well, I don't agree with all of his agenda. He still deserves honor. For the office that he fills, he still deserves honor. Uh, we can carry that same truth over to a church. The Bible says, remember them which have the rule over you. See, Pastor, how do you know that's talking about a church? Because the rest of it, who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow, Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And so each one of us has been placed, and we have somebody as a position of dignity over top of us. Their position deserves honor. Their position deserves respect. Now, as soon as I say that, there's going to be somebody, and maybe that somebody is you. Pastor, the person that's in authority over me, they're not consistent. They do things that they shouldn't do. And therefore, I don't think that I should still be required to honor them. How many understand what I just said? There are some that use the excuse because the authority that is over me in this realm is not 100% all the time consistent. Therefore, I don't think that I should honor them. And because of that kind of thinking, there are people in a home that think they're okay to disrespect dad or husband. There are people at a job site that think because my boss isn't consistent, I'm okay to criticize my boss. There are people in a church that says because my pastor isn't always on top of things, that I have a right to criticize my pastor. Do you know that kind of justification for not honoring those in authority how many people use that? And Jude knew that people would go that direction, and so that's why he wrote verse 9. Look at verse 9, Jude verse 9. The Bible says, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not, did not, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. It's in context with verse 8, where uh, Jude has already said that these that want to overturn a church think they are justified in speaking evil of somebody that's above them. It's in context with that statement that Jude writes, verse number 9. Now, so let's kind of take it apart and then reassemble it. Uh, the Bible tells us about this man named Michael. Michael is a heavenly being. Michael is not just an angel. Look there in verse number 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel. 
that word ark put in front of a name talks about uh, supreme. It talks about the highest up. Uh, there, I suppose, in some church circles are bishops. And yet there is an archbishop. And so that word arch always elevates that person as being higher than all the rest. So this person, this being named Michael, he's not just an angel, he's an archangel. In fact, every time it uses that word archangel before Michael, it always says the archangel. I would suggest to you that there's only one archangel and his name is Michael. And there's a number of references that talk about that. Second person that we need to notice, look there in verse 9 again, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, well, what do we know about the devil? When he was first created, his name was Lucifer. Uh, we know now that he is called Satan. He's now called the devil. Uh, when he was created, he was a cherub. You say, well, that doesn't mean much to me, but... In the hierarchy of principalities and powers, a cherub is above an angel. A cherub is above an archangel. So in the listing of priority on principalities in heaven, don't lose me, an archangel is under a cherub. We know that Lucifer made some bad choices. We know that Lucifer made some evil choices. We know that Lucifer, because he decided to raise a rebellion against God, that Lucifer was cast out of heaven. I would say to you, it didn't change the fact that he is still a cherub. But he's a cherub that made some bad choices. Now, so we've identified Michael and Archangel. We've identified the devil or Lucifer or Satan as a cherub. We've said that a cherub is higher in position than even an archangel. The next thing that we learn from verse number 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. So we know, and we won't turn it for sake of time, but we know in Deuteronomy chapter 34, God said, Moses, it's time for me to take you home. And Moses, after having led Israel for 40 years, Moses said, well, Lord, I was kind of thinking of going into the promised land. And God said, it's not going to happen. And he said, so I'll take you up on Mount Pisgah, and I'll let you see the promised land. And if you look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1 to 4, God allows Moses to see all of that promise. That's pretty good, pretty good eyesight. But after that, the Bible says that Moses died. Now, I do need you to turn. Keep your hand in Jude. I do need you to look there in Deuteronomy 34. Say, Pastor, where is Deuteronomy? Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Again, Deuteronomy chapter number 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Look there in verse number 4. Again, Moses is up on top of this mountain. He is allowed to see all of that promised land of Canaan. Deuteronomy 34, verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abram, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thy eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. 
Verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. So Moses died. An unusual thing about verse 6, and he, preacher is he, it's God. And he, God, buried him, Moses, in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. And so after Moses dies, breathes his last breath, his heart stops pumping, he dies. God says, Moses, I'm going to do something for you that I've never done for anyone. I'm going to bury you. Imagine God choosing to bury somebody. But it says that. It says that uh, he, God, uh, buried him, Moses, in a valley right near that mountain. Sometime after Deuteronomy chapter 34, back down to Jude. Sometime after that, God says to Michael, I want you to go dig up the body of Moses. And Michael says, really? That's Carl's knowledge. Really? God says, yes. We're not told when it was. It happened sometime before Jude for sure. When Michael is about to do what God's assigned him to do, who shows up but Satan? And Satan is standing there, and although no human knew where Moses' body was buried, God knew, and the devil knew, and now Michael knew, because God told Michael where to find it. And so Michael is, I, I don't understand this, folks. I, I don't know if he had a pickaxe and a shovel. I, I can't explain that. But you'd have to go to the Greek to get all that. But I, I think that when Michael showed up ready to get Moses' body, the devil shows up. And the devil says, what do you think you're doing? Well, God sent me to get this body. It's not yours to get. It's mine. <laughs> and the devil is just putting up a fight. And the devil is just putting up a fuss. Don't you know that Michael had enough goods? I guess we'd call it bads. The, the, Michael had enough bad details about Satan that he could have given Satan the ones over. He could have said, you low-down scum, you loser, you wipeout." He could have said a number of things to Satan, and all of those things would have been true that Michael said. But this is recorded because Michael didn't say any of those things. Look at the verse 9 again, Jude verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not, did not. Uh, durst not bring against him, against the devil, uh, a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. You know, Michael said, it's not my place to rebuke this being, sinful as he is, wicked as he is. He has a position that I respect is higher than me. And he said, I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm going to let the Lord take care of this. Now, I hope I haven't lost you in all that. But you know what Jude is saying when somebody in the church decides that they have free license 
to begin to be critical and to speak evil of and to tear apart and to denounce and to rebuke somebody that God has put in a position above that person that's trying to do the rebuking. That's a creep. That's a creep. When a child decides, my dad isn't everything that he ought to be, therefore I have a right to rebuke my dad, you are dead wrong. When a wife convinces herself, my husband hardly ever reads his Bible. My husband, I never see him pray. My husband is hit and miss in church. My husband never hands out a gospel tract. My wife, uh, husband rather, never has good thing. When a wife says, because my husband isn't all that God would expect a husband to be, I have a right to criticize you are dead wrong. And I'm saying to you, we're trying to find out how can you determine somebody who has crept into the church and wants to turn that. I'm saying the very first thing is they don't hesitate for a moment to speak evil of somebody that's in a position of authority. Now, hold on a minute. I'm not for a moment saying the devil's right. I'm not for a moment saying that the devil made uh, wise choices. He didn't make wise choices at all. But Michael was wise enough to let God take care of that person. And I'm saying that's the very first thing. Again, we're, we're, looking, at, uh, our, we're looking at by their words, uh, we will know them. Uh, the first way you'll know is by irreverent words. Although uh, a child, a teen, will say, I know that God told me to honor my father and mother, but they're doing some things that are clearly wrong. Therefore, I don't have to honor them. This graveyard scene would say otherwise. Uh, do you know, it might be a wife says, I, I know that uh, God told me to honor my husband, but my husband isn't all... I think I have a right not to honor him. This graveyard scene would tell us differently than that. And preacher, what are we learning? We're learning by their words, you shall know them. And the first words is irreverent words. Listen, I didn't always agree with my dad. He's an Evanel. He's, he's right. <laughs> but that didn't give me a license to tear his face off and rebuke him for where he's wrong. Uh, if you work at a job site, you say, oh, preacher, I just don't agree with that. That might be true, and I already said you can quit. But as long as you're there, it's not your place to rebuke that one that's in charge of that. The very first way that we're going to know is, uh, is that they will use irreverent words. That's Notice who they'll attack. Uh, we know that in 1 Samuel 16, God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint Israel's second king. Who was Israel's second king? David. Who was Israel's first king? Saul. When God had Samuel anoint David to be the next king, the present king Saul was still on the throne. David could have said, I'm supposed to be the next king. Incidentally, he was anointed in 1 Samuel 16. 
in 1 Samuel 15, God had already taken the kingdom from Saul. David could have justified saying, I'm going to take that man off the throne because after all, I'm supposed to be on it. God picked me and anointed me to do that. But you know that David never did. You know that David waited years. And David said, let God do that. Let God handle that. When you find someone in a church that has no respect for authority in their words, that's a person to back away from. I give you a second thing. Uh, look over there in uh, Jude verse 9 again. And so again, we're trying to learn about by their words, we, uh, we will know them. First way is by irreverent words, and it's, it's who they'll attack. Second thing in verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, they disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation. Now, I need you to think. Who would not bring a railing accusation against someone else? Who wouldn't? Michael wouldn't. Michael said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say that. Who would Michael not bring a railing accusation against? Who? Again. The devil. I'm going to suggest, and this might turn out to be Carlsonology, and then I'll be guilty. I think if you read that verse a number of times, Michael decided, I'm not going to bring a railing accusation against the devil, though he deserves it. But I think if you read it, it sounds like the devil had no problem bringing a railing accusation against Michael. The first thing we've learned is by the who. These creeps have no issue with criticizing. So is an authority. The second thing we learn is how. How they will criticize. They'll criticize it with railing words. They'll criticize it with accusatory words. So let me define those two. Why don't you write this second point down? Uh, the second kind of words that will identify creeps in the church is insolent words. So what does that mean? Well, it starts with an I. I really need it. Insolent words. It's words without any honor. It's words without any respect. Preacher, what does it mean to rail? Railing is speaking in insulting language. Railing is disapproval. Railing is done in a cutting and harmful way. Railing is the kind of talk that's done at bars, I guess, and brawls. It's the kind of words spoken by gangs of thieves and thugs to imitate, or sorry, to intimidate uh, helpless people. Uh, railing is often riddled, uh, riddled with cursing and swearing. Railing is often with fire in one's eyes. And it's a picture of one who threatens another and bellows out, that, that's railing. Railing is argumentative. Railing is bellowing out, that's railing. Not only does it say that Michael doesn't use railing words, but it says he never uses railing accusations. Preacher, what is accusations? An accusation is, a, uh, is accusing somebody of a crime. Uh, uh, that's accusations. And you know what? Not only this creep will rail, He'll bellow and he'll shout, but he'll accuse and charge someone of crimes 
crimes that they've never done, and it's seen by their words and how they said their words. We're trying to identify preacher how. How are we going to figure out who is orchestrating this change? First of all, they have no inhibitions about criticizing people in the place of authority. You need to give that to God. Secondly, we notice by how they do it. Not done graciously. Not done kindly. It's not done with uh, reservation and care. It's done with railing. It's just a long list of accusatory words. I say the second thing that we notice is uh, the words that they'll use as insolent words. Uh, do you know how often do we read of Jesus being accused? But he never responded in like manner. How often we hear about Paul being accused. And you know, if you live for God, then you too will be the victim of many such accusations. Let's remember, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. But you and I don't want to help him do his work. So if you're a Christian employee, then you can expect to be falsely accused by co-workers, maybe even by the employer himself. That doesn't give you a license to respond in the same manner. Uh, if you are a Christian citizen, then you will be accused, maybe by other citizens, maybe by the government. And you know, if you're trying to be a witness for Jesus Christ, <laughs> you'll get it across the chin. Uh, last couple of times, been out, some, some of it knocking on doors. Remember knocking on the door of that one lady, and I was with Brother Goble, and uh, it, it's funny. It, it, can I pick on Brother Goble for a minute? He said, Pastor, I, I, you know, this is a rough-looking place. And don't you think people that are in a place like this, don't you think they really want help? I said, well, we can hope so. <laughs> want help? This woman that came to the door, she had all kinds of railing. I'm not talking, talking about the kind that helps you up the stairs. She was railing on the two of us. She was making accusations that she had never even met us before. That is an identifier of somebody in a church that's trying to turn the direction of the church when they have no, uh, no hold back on attacking someone in authority and how they say it. Pastor, what do you mean when you say we need to cut these railing accusers off? Do you know, could I say this and then I'll get to the third point. As much as Michael didn't take it upon himself to rebuke Satan. And he didn't. There is no question on whose side Michael was. Are we fair with that? Michael didn't take it upon himself to rebuke Satan. None of us wonder what position Michael took. Because Michael said, the Lord rebuke thee. He made it very clear Satan, I am not on your side. I am not for what you're doing. I'm not for what you're saying. And I'm saying to you, when these who would try to overturn a church, you might have to summon God to take care of that person. 
But there should be no question on which side that you are. And saying that Michael was convinced that Satan was well-deserving of rebuke. And Michael clearly took God's side over Satan's side. Michael voiced that in words to Satan. Michael invited God to rebuke Satan. Michael didn't continue to fellowship with Satan as soon as Michael got his job done, he was out of there. And this again, I'm trying to help. Preacher, how are we going to know these that have that kind of an agenda? First of all, you're going to know it by irreverent words. Secondly, you're going to know it by insolent words, angry words, accusatory words. I give you the third thing. I'm done with this. Look there in Jude verse 10. But these, again, talk about the same crowd. But these speak evil. Well, we already got that from the end of verse 8, but it doesn't stop there. These speak evil of those things which they know not. If you have built a business, and some of you have, if you have built a business and it's been successful, could you imagine somebody that has never built a business, somebody that has had a hard time holding a job down for over three months? Could you imagine them coming to you and tell, telling you that you're running your business completely wrong, that you need to listen to their advice on how to run a business? You know what that is? That's somebody that's speaking about something that they know not. And when somebody makes their way into an old-fashioned church and they begin telling those that have been in that church for 10, 20, 30 years how they should change what's happening and how it's happening in that church, listen, Buster, <laughs> could I say that nicely? Have you ever been a good addition to a church? You ever been part of an independent Baptist church? Is that your background? Is that your strength? Is that where you've shown experience? It's like, it's like a teacher, bless their heart, they're doing everything they can to make every class that they teach children the very best class they can be. And a parent coming up and telling that teacher that they're doing it all wrong. You know how you'd respond to that? Well, you'd take offense at that. What are they? They don't even know what they're talking about. Look at the verse again, verse number 10. Said, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. You know what a brute beast is? A brute beast is a beast that's never been trained. It's never been broken. It's never been taught. It's never been shown the way of grace. It's never been polished. A brute beast is, sure enough, it's a beast. Everything it does, it does without order and without structure. And what he's saying in this verse, the third way that you're going to know somebody that's trying to 
secretly change a church is, is they're going to talk about things they don't even know what they're talking about. Could I say this last one if you'd write this word down? Third kind of words that will identify creeps in the church are ignorant words. They're just ignorant of it. They don't know what they're talking about. They're making charges against others, but on matters that they only have understanding naturally. Folks, before we got saved, all of our wisdom was natural wisdom. But I trust when you trusted Christ as your Savior and the Spirit of God moved inside, God began to teach you some supernatural truths. But here, these that would try to corrupt a church, all, they speak as brute beasts. Never been polished, never been changed, never been broken, never been taught. I have a list, and I like these lists. If you've never been married, it might be wiser to refrain from lecturing married folks about how to have a happy marriage. If you've never been married, find another subject to preach on. If you've never had children, it might be wise for you to hold your words instead of advising someone who has children how to do it. I, I, I've said it before. I was an expert on raising children until we had our first. There's something about having children that sure changes all of that theory. If you've never had teenagers, you might be a little bit cautious about giving advice to somebody who's had teenagers. If you never taught a Sunday school, you might be wise to give the benefit of the doubt to that Sunday school teacher that they are trying their best. If you've never pastored, then for you to berate a pastor who has been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years and has in some ways been semi-successful at holding 50 or 100 people together all those years, you might not be the one to speak about that. Don't be the kind to talk about things that you don't know of. How many are with me? Three. Uh, could I say this? Uh, ever had a non-church attender tell you what's wrong with all the churches? <laughs> well, you don't go to church. What could you possibly know? Ever had someone who never once read their Bible through try to tell you about all the mistakes in the Bible? <laughs> These that are experts on TV talk shows, they don't know anything about God. They're trying to criticize we who believe in God. The man on the street who's never been saved wants to tell Christians who witness that they shouldn't do so. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, the woman on the street who's never been faithful to church wants to tell all the churches how they should do it better. You know, it can only be ignorant words when a drunkard is telling others that living a sober life is all wrong. <laughs> you wouldn't know that. You've never lived a life like that. Do you know, this is the man who idolizes ballplayers and yet he calls a dedicated Christian a fanatic. This is the man who, the scientists who believe that rocks somehow magically became humans. 
but they make fun of we who trust in God. I'm saying to you, the very third of the ways that you can know is ignorant words. You know, Jude is talking about those who want to creep into church and change it. And they're going to convince you that the hymns have to be replaced. But they've never felt God work in a supernatural way in their heart through those old-fashioned hymns. Folks, we might have fewer people than we did a few months ago. But there's something about the Spirit in this place that's good. And you can tell it in the singing. And some of you must be singing duets and trios all by yourself because it's louder and it's better. And don't let somebody that's never felt the richness of an old-fashioned hymn lift their heart, tell you that we need to replace the old-fashioned hymns. Don't let somebody who has never read a Bible through, who never reads the Bible day after day, don't let somebody that doesn't read the Bible tell you that it's no longer important to encourage God's people to read the Bible. They don't read it anyway. And if somebody comes to you and says, I think we need to shift from the King James, that's where you stop them right there. But if someone says, we need to uh, shift from the King James to the NIV or the CEV or the TEV, or well, they don't read it anyway. They don't know what they're talking about. When someone comes to an old-fashioned church and says, you know what, we need to get rid of the altar call at the end of the service. Folks, whether anyone comes to the altar a particular service or no one comes, the people that are trying to get rid of the altar call are the people that have never gone to an altar. They have never felt God lift a burden of sin off their heart. They never felt the Spirit of God call them to do some kind of a ministry. They don't know what it means to have an old-fashioned experience at an altar, and they're telling you that you need to get rid of the altar call. You need to pay attention when somebody is trying to change something in an old-fashioned church. Could they be ignorant words? Someone says, we need to stop handing out these gospel tracts. It just doesn't work. How many years have you handed out gospel tracts? How much effort have you put in? How much time do you pray before you go out there and knock on doors? How many tears have you shed before you try to change a church from old-fashioned gospel tract distribution? Tell us what you have done to earn our hearing of your methods. And he said the third kind of words that you're going to find is someone's going to be an expert in something that they have never done. They have never seen God bless it. They've never seen God help through it. Do you know, they're going to try to convince you that going to church once a week is all that's needed. Or once a month, that's all that's needed. When you went to church once a week, did it draw you closer? No, didn't do anything for me. Well, no wonder you only want it once a month. But you know, for us that go Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, for us that have had a tough week until that service, and there's something about the singing that just lifts our heart, 
about the fellowship of God's people that just misses our heart, uh, helps our heart. Uh, there's something about that old-fashioned opening up the Bible and preaching that just lifts our heart. Don't you come to us and tell us once a week's enough. The Bible says, and so much the more as you see the day approach. Now, folks, this is all I'm trying to tell you. You'll be able to tell them by their words. First of all, they're the words that will eventually come out of their mouth, those words will be irreverent words. No respect for anyone in authority. They just soon tell someone in authority where to get off. No respect. Irreverent. Secondly, insolent words, angry words, accusatory words. And the third is ignorant words. Folks, words are powerful. And uh, uh, two men born to poor single-parent homes. They both have access to free education. They both have access to free libraries. They both have access to entertainment. One of these two decides, I'm going to learn. I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to learn so I can rise out of the poverty. I'm going to provide a good life for my family. I'm going to be an outstanding citizen. The other one decides... I don't want to learn. He devotes his day and night to television and music and laziness. Drops out of school, becomes a drug addict. He curses society for letting him down. The second man had the same opportunities as the first man. And when the second man begins to criticize society, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Two girls are born to godly parents. They're brought up in Sunday school, excellent Sunday school. They spend the formative years listening to good preaching. They're kept out of the wicked world. One gives her heart to Christ in her early age. Delights in the word of God, respects her parents, is thankful to have been raised in a Christian home. Eventually marries a dedicated believer, tries to raise her children to please the Lord, but the other girl tolerates that Christian home as long as she can. One day, bored to tears with church, bolts for the world, and she spends the rest of her life blaming strict parents, an old-fashioned church, a preacher that can't keep it down to 20 minutes, they both had the same opportunity. And when the second one who chose the world over God starts to tell you how you should run your home and how you should raise your children and how you should run a church, they don't know what they're talking about. And so you need to take into account who's saying it. Why did Jude write about these people whose words would identify them either as unbelievers and backslidden? Because these people have chosen not to do it God's way. And they don't want you to go God's way either. And that's time to let them know. Listen, when Michael heard of the accusing things that Satan said, he said, the Lord will take care of you. 
But I want you to know I'm not on your side. I'm not with you. I'm not in agreement with you. And folks, the last few messages come down to the same thing. There will be people that will try to get you on their side. And you need to make it very clear, I'm not with you. I, I talked to a preacher, this is probably five, six weeks ago, I think. And this preacher said to me, Brother Carlson, we as preachers know that the devil's always going to try to bring somebody in to overturn a church. We know that. So he said, I've taught my people that they need to beware. He said, I've taught my people through the history of every Bible-believing church, the devil will always bring someone or someones in that don't like the direction it is, don't like the authority, don't like any of that stuff. And he said, what they'll do is they won't stand up and tell people that. They'll just get together. He said, they'll, they'll get together at Tim's, Tim Hortons. Get together at 7-Eleven, get together at Dairy Queen, get together wherever. And he said, they'll just put a little seed of criticism. And he said, I've told our people, when you detect the first seed of criticism, that's when you need to stop it right there. You cannot be neutral. You cannot be friends to somebody that's criticizing the church and still friends of the church. So he said, I taught that to her. Just Brother Carlson, I'm sure he taught the same thing. And he said, lo and behold, we had a family that moved to our church. And he said, from all outward appearance, this is a plus, plus, plus. And he said, sure enough, it wasn't long before the man of this family took aside one of the men of our church. And he said one statement that was critical of the church. Oh, he said, I was so proud of our man. <laughs> our man didn't stay silent. Our man, in the interest of being friends to everyone, didn't zip his lip. He said, hold on a minute. You're being critical of my church and of my pastor. You and I need to go right now and talk to my pastor. And he said, you know what? This guy realized he wasn't going to pull the wool over our faithful church member. And he said, this criti critical guy kind of backed, no, no, that's okay. He said it wasn't long before that family that was criticizing left. He said, they weren't able to take anybody else from our church with them because our church was wise to detect this guy's a creep. He said, they went on to the next church. They went on to the next church. He said, that second church, they weren't able to take anyone either, but he said, when they got to the third church, he said, it was the same thing. Because, folks, it's not that pastor that they hate. It's any pastor. It's not that leader that they despise. It's any leader. When it comes down to it, it it's, it's not the King James Bible that they say, it's too hard to understand, I can't read it. Because at the end, and you know I'm King James the core. 
But if you said to these people, okay, then why don't you read your NIV? They wouldn't be faithful reading that one either. Folks, rebellion is rebellion wherever it goes. They couldn't take anyone out of the first church because those people were wise. They couldn't take anyone out of the second church because those people are wise. But he said to me, he said, you know what? They went to the third church. I said, began to do the same things that they had done previously. And there were people in that church that said, well, we want to just keep friends. We want to just stay neutral. And he said, they succeeded in taking people out. In verse 9 and 10, he talked about the words to identify. We find they're irreverent words. There's no, there's no respect for anyone in authority. They are insolent words, hateful words, accusatory words. And they're ignorant words. They don't know what they're talking about. What kind of words do people hear from your lips? What kind of words does the world hear from your lips? More importantly, what kind of words does God hear? Because God hears them all. Let's pray. Father, we are slowly going through the book of Jude, and maybe too slow for some. The Lord, uh, Jude wrote and he warned that in the last days before the Lord comes back, there will be an attempt to overthrow old-fashioned churches. And Lord, that is very important to us because we're an old-fashioned church. Jude has talked about the agenda. And Jude has talked about the character of these. And tonight, Jude has talked about the words. Lord, would you help us to guard our words? The psalmist David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. I think that was a prayer. Lord, I can't see any reason why we shouldn't start every day with that same prayer. Lord, help every word that comes out of my mouth be acceptable in your sight.